1 Timothy chapter number 3, if I were to look at any of Paul's epistles and say I probably know one better than the others, I would say 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus would be the three that I would know the best. Just because I know them the best doesn't mean that I know all about them because we'll never fully understand everything that's there. But these were Paul's past, these were the pastoral epistles. Timothy, we know that Timothy basically was a son in the faith to Paul, and Timothy was the pastor at the church at Ephesus. Paul writes this to Timothy, first and second Timothy, to help him and also to help the church that he was at set up a proper pattern for how that church should be. So when we look tonight, does anyone need a copy of the notes? If you didn't get a copy of the notes and need a copy, would you slip your hand up? And uh, Art, you want to get those for me? That will work. So if you need a copy, to slip your hand up, and uh, we'll get that to you, everyone good. All right. You can follow along in the notes there. We are moving on through. And so we, uh, if you, I think if it goes according to plan, it should be by May or so, we should be done. Somewhere in there, we'll be through the whole Bible. And we've been at this for a while. And I enjoy the series. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But I like, it's good to go through and get a little overview of these passages. And uh, do you remember, um, Teresa, last year when you are here, do you remember where we were at last year when you were here? I think we were somewhere. So we'll have to see later, so. I have all of them. I was telling Caroline early today, earlier today that I had the rest of the notes to give you to catch you up to here. And so, but if you have your Bibles there, 1 Timothy chapter number 3, we're going to be looking at a lot of verses tonight in this passage. I'm going to talk about a lot of things. And uh, being a pastor, I think that it's a great thing for anyone who is a pastor to really study this book, 2 Timothy and Titus. Um, we'll look maybe bit at the beginning of chapter number three we see the qualifications for a pastor we see the qualification for deacons we'll talk a little bit about that tonight we're going to look at god's plan for the people of the church in chapter number two we'll look at that tonight but look at why paul wrote this to timothy first timothy three verse number 14 these things write i unto thee hoping to come unto thee but if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Paul says in these verses, Timothy, I long to come see you and hopefully I'll be able to come soon. But if I'm not able to, this letter I've written to you so that you and the church there will know how you should behave yourself and how the church should properly be ran there because the church, we see some things about the church. We see the church of the living God. The church is the pillar and the ground of truth. So important. So tonight we're going to look at a proper pattern. Father, we need your help tonight. I pray that you'd help us as we look at this passage of Scripture tonight, that you'd work in our hearts and our lives and help us tonight. We need you and we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
We go back to 1 Timothy chapter number 1, and as I said, we're going to look at lots of verses tonight, and I'll give you the short outline as we go through here tonight. As I mentioned, Timothy is one of Paul's preacher boys, a good way of wording it. And what we see, and one of the things I love to see is the fact that Paul invested and instructed Timothy. And one of the things you got to remember, and one of the things that we got to remember going into the future as well, we don't want this church to be a one-generation church. We want to be a multi-generational church that continues moving forward. And that's why it's important that the young people that come to this church, that they are taught the truth of God's word. Because our prayer is that God will continue to use this place and that these young people will grow up under the preaching that you've heard, stay strong to the truth of God's word, and someday one of them might be pastoring this church. That's a scary thought, right? That's our job to teach them, to train them. Paul invested in others. That's an important thing, and we see that in this passage. Now, we look at verse number 1 of chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope, unto Timothy, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace, from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus, when I was in Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither giving heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith so do. And we see right away, we see that Paul tells us here he left Timothy there in Ephesus. And the church at Ephesus, if you study the book of Acts, when Paul was there, Paul had a really tough time leaving this church. He loved these people. Timothy was as a son to him in the ministry, and I think what Paul did is he wanted to leave his very best with them. That's why he left Timothy. But he tells Timothy, Timothy, the pastor of the church, he gives him some thoughts right at the very beginning. And we see in verse number 3, he says that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. A principle that I see right away is the fact, and this isn't in your notes, this is extra for you tonight, the pastor needs to keep a close eye on the doctrine that's taught at the church and make sure that it lines up with this book. That's why you teach Sunday school around here. You better teach the Word of God right, because I will be keeping an eye on it. We've got a couple people that are doing some Bible studies outside of here. I just talked to a lady the other day that started one, and I wanted to know, what are you teaching? Say, well, it's at her house. What's it any of your business? It's my business when God's people that he's entrusted to me go somewhere and hear some teaching. It's my business. It's my job. We see it right there. That's your job to keep an eye on it. It's the pastor's job. Be thankful for a church where a pastor keeps an eye on the doctrine that's taught. We stand for the word of God around here, and that's important. Say, well, pastor, I just, no, I'm going to answer to God someday. I'm not answering to you. So I'm going to do what God's called me to do, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. You say, well, pastor, do you trust people? Yes, I do. But I want to make sure I know what's going on. Some people, well, pastor, it's kind of like you're more like a dictator. I'm not a dictator. It's a difference between those two. But I do know what everyone teaches around here, and I keep an eye on all that stuff because I'm going to answer to God. I'm not doing it for your sake. I'm doing it because I'm going to answer to God and make sure that we keep things right around here. 
there are a lot of churches that a lot of problems come in because you have lots of different people teaching doctrines. That, and that's the thing. You know where our doctrine comes from? This book. And the church is known, we just read a minute ago, that's the pillar and the ground of truth, right? So if you're teaching false doctrine in the church, how is it the pillar and the ground of truth? This book is what has to be our guide in all that we do. And that's what's being laid out here, a proper pattern for things. This is a letter to a young pastor to instruct him and to help the people that he's called to lead. I mentioned the title for tonight, A Proper Pattern. Paul's writing to give Timothy a pattern on how they should love and serve God. Number one tonight as we go through here, and we'll look at several things. Number one, we see a pattern of doctrine. A pattern of doctrine. Doctrine matters. Let me make sure we understand something tonight. I'm not talking about preferences. I'm talking about doctrine. The blood of Jesus Christ, that's doctrine. The word of God, that's doctrine. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, that's doctrine. There are lots of other things that are not doctrine. I'm not talking about, I'm talking about doctrine tonight. When we think about doctrine, we look at this, we look at verse number four. The Bible says, Neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying, which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned, from which some have swerved unto, have turned aside unto vain um, janglings, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. And what Paul said, hey, watch out. Watch out for those false teachers. Watch out for the bad influences in the church. Watch out for those things. And even look at what it says at the end of chapter number one here, verse number 19, holding faith in a good conscience, which some have put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Hey, watch out for the doctrine. Watch out for false teachers. That's why be careful who you listen to. I'll tell you, I'm not always right on everything I say. I'm far from that. I'm, I might mention a little bit tonight, I might not, but you listen to my preaching several years ago and you listen to my preaching now, I've had some people that'll come up to me and say, Pastor, you're a compromiser. And I laugh at them. I'm not a compromiser. There's a difference between Brian of several years ago and Brian of today. The Brian of several years ago just preached everything I was taught. The Brian of today has studied this for himself and sees that there's a difference between some of the things I was taught and what the book actually says. So I think that's called growth. Sometimes I think people think they want a pastor, you know, if you want a pastor who's seasoned, I'm only 10 years into it. You got a long ways to go before I'll be seasoned. Some of you might not even be around still when I finally get seasoned. And I might not ever mature in it. Who knows? I don't know. But I think there, yeah. <laughs> you just go back and listen to some of my preaching. Compare, I think there's a big difference. And it's more Bible. And sometimes I look back and I think, why in the world did I say that? Or why did I do that? But I think it's called growing. We all go through things like that. But we see, first of all, there's a pattern of doctrine, the importance of doctrine. We even see chapter number four. Uh, Paul talks a little bit more about this in verse one through four. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times 
Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meat, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good, and nothing is to be refused and is to be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God. And prayer, we see Paul's warning again, there's going to be false teachers. And the closer we get to the end days, the more false teachers there are. And that's why you got to be very careful. I remember a couple years ago when we still had Sunday school and Sunday mornings, and we had a men's class. Someone hijacked that class, and for the whole class, they taught about, um, um, they said that pre-tribulational rapture was wrong, and they talked about how po- um, how um, the church was going to go through the tribulation. First time I ever did it. Don't know if I'll ever do anything like that again. That, they hijacked that whole class. My whole Sunday morning sermon, I went to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and I set the church straight on it. And I talked to that guy after church. You don't do that. You don't do that. You might have difference of opinions, and we will. You say, Pastor, I see something differently than you do. Come, let's sit down and talk. I'm definitely open to talking. Sometimes, I think sometimes people think, Pastor, you're just, you're too hard to talk to. I'm not too hard to talk to. You, I've noticed something. I've been wrong before, and I'm going to be wrong again. You might know something and be able to help me. I might be able to help you. I love when two people can sit down together, and they might not agree completely on something, but because they love one another, they'll sit together and hear things out and grow from it. It's a good thing. But we see a pattern of doctrine. Doctrine is important. Number two, we see a pattern of ministry, how the church is supposed to function. Some people don't like this, and it's Bible, though. When you look at 1 Timothy chapter number 2, the pattern of ministry, what's the pattern for ministry? We're going to read the entire chapter, chapter number 2. I'm going to break it down a little bit for you, and then we'll go a little further tonight. But see in verse number 1, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, this is what needs to be taking place in the church. First of all, in supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings, that would include presidents. That could include governors there. That could be your elect- elected officials. For kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty for this, doing this, look at this, doing this, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. One of the things I do when I study the Bible, when the Bible says that God likes something or that this is acceptable and God likes it, I really mark those. So what is, as we look at verse number three there, it says, what is good and acceptable in the sight of God? That the first thing the church focuses on is supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Even the presidents, those all those that are in authority, and that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty, that's pleasing to God. Why is it pleasing to God? Look at verse number four who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Now, let me help some of you out tonight or those watching on internet land tonight, whatever the case may be. 
or Facebook land or YouTube land or whatever it is. I've heard Christians say, well, I pray for my leaders. I pray that God would, God would take them out of office. That's not what that says right there. Does not say that right there. I've heard people say, well, I pray for the health of... It doesn't say for you to pray for their health either, does it? What does God want? He wants that all men would come to be saved and to have a knowledge of God. You know what our prayer should be for President Biden? Not that he gives you everything you want, because he's probably going to try and do even more than that and things you don't want. You need to pray for his salvation. Say, well, is he saved? Him and God only know the truth to that answer. Say, could a Catholic be saved? I do believe a Catholic could if they trust Jesus Christ. There's enough there that they could be saved, but there's so much other fluff and garbage that is thrown in, you could be completely lost and be a Catholic. There's both sides of it. But we should pray for his salvation. You know what we should be praying for for Gavin Newsom? Not that he gets recalled. Say, well, pastor, do you want him recalled? Yeah, yeah, I do. I would love for there to be, but in this state, what, what are we going to do? You know what our prayer should be? God, I pray that our governor would get to know you. That's what our prayer should be. That's God's plan. That's what's acceptable to him. We see that before our eyes. So when we talk about pattern of ministry and how a church needs to be patterned after, the first thing we see is prayer. Prayer is number one. Prayer. Prayer is so important. We, and it says, first, I exhort therefore that first of all, this is where you begin. And not only do we see prayer as a pattern of ministry here, but we also see the, the importance of sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel. Because it says, look at verse, as I said in verse 4, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ, not a lie, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. A pattern for ministry? Prayer. Do you pray for our city? Do you pray for your neighbors that they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ? Do you pray for our state? Do you pray for our country? Do you pray... For the other seven, the seven continents in the world? Do you pray that people would come to the Lord? Well, pastor, I really don't. Then you're not doing something that would please God. That's God's desire, that all men would be saved. That's what he wants. The Lord isn't willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If it's something that he desires, it should be our heart as well. Prayer. Sharing the gospel. Let her see godly actions by the people in the church. Some people don't like what I'm about to say here in just a minute. And it's okay. The Bible says it. And sometimes you just need to look at the Bible and you need to do what the Bible says. And remember, it's not me, okay? It's the Word of God. Verse 8. 
I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. What is God's ultimate desire for every man in his church? You see it right before your eyes. That men pray everywhere. Oh, it says something about lifting up your hands to God. It does say that right there. You see that right before your eyes. And not without, it says without wrath and without doubting, trusting in him. That's God's desire for the men in the church. Hey, men tonight, those watching online, those sitting here tonight, you want to know God's desire for you in this ministry and in this church? He wants you to pray everywhere. All right, ladies, you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Can you handle this? Here we go. Look at verse number nine. In like manner also. Oh, so, so the men are supposed to pray everywhere, right? This is the Bible, not me. In like manner also. Women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Oh, look at verse number 11. Let's just read a little bit more. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I didn't say that. God said it there. Verse number 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to observe authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. God's desire for every man in the church is that they pray. God's desire for the ladies. Are you ready? Look at it there. It says you shouldn't color your hair. You shouldn't wear jewelry. You shouldn't. I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm just going. I'm going. I'm just teasing you just a little bit. You shouldn't wear makeup. My old saying is if the, bar, if the bar needs painting, paint it up. If the cracks and crevices need filled in, get that spackle. There. Just fill it in. Do what you need to do. And uh, that's not what this is talking about here. But the Bible does make it clear. It says that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Modest apparel is important. Ladies, let me be honest with you. What you wear matters. There are a lot of Christian ladies that say, I can wear what I want. God's desire in the church is for a lady to adorn themselves in modest apparel. I've taught this verse. I've studied this verse for a long time. For a long time, I felt very differently about this verse than how I feel about it today. Some of you have been around me for years, and I think at the beginning of our church and things, when I use those words, adorn and modest apparel, I would talk about a long flowing garment and a lady should be in a skirt. That's what I used to say. I said that over and over again in this pulpit. It's what I was taught in Bible college. That's not what the verse says. It doesn't say that in Greek. Doesn't say it in Hebrew, doesn't say it in Chinese, doesn't say it in English. It says that a woman should wear orderly, decently orderly clothing. 
Modest means orderly. Let me give you a great example. It means that nothing sticks out. When, when someone looks at you, you shouldn't be showing off all the curves that God's given you. I think that's a great way to word it. If you're walking and I'll, <laughs> there are times here at church, I'll be preaching and someone will get up and walk out in the middle of the service. I got to turn my head another way because there's everything jiggling out the back door because it's so tight. That's not modest apparel. And I'll also, well, we're here, I'm just going to say it. And I've seen some men sitting near the aisle and they're walking through and they go, in the middle of church. That's what Paul's talking about. If men are supposed to be praying, the women need to dress right so the men stay praying. <laughs> but also this, the men need to have enough self-control to look in the only things that are right. That's a whole other story. But how can you please God? You know, we talk about it. You say, what's modest? There are lots of things I, you, I would consider modest. We talk about modesty a lot. I still have yet, and you can try and, you know, I not, you, it's between you and God what you do. You cannot prove to me that a bathing suit is modest. You can't. You're like, Pastor, you, you can't. Show me how it's modest. Modest apparel. Well, it's modest for the occasion. Baloney. It's not. If you want to talk about the Bible and go deep into something, and people are like, Pastor, Let's talk Bible for a minute. Nakedness is the thigh being uncovered. I can take you later and show you all the verses. The Bible describes nakedness as your thigh being uncovered. If your thigh is uncovered in God's eyes, that's called nakedness. The priests had to put on um, britches under their robes because God didn't want their thighs showing as they went up the steps into the tabernacle. That matters to God. So what you wear matters. It does. Men, I'll just be, say it with you. You should be modest in the things you wear. I've got a real cut body up here, but I don't go around with my shirt off. <clears throat> I've not worn a Speedo to the beach in a long time. <laughs> and <clears throat> I don't even want to know what was said over there. We'll, we'll leave that one alone right there. But what you've got to understand is God wants godly actions. And when you have a desire to dress in a way that doesn't please God, it's showing issues inside of your heart. Because I've, grow, I've grown up in church, been in church my whole life. Things I remember we went to, um, I took our teenagers to a camp several years ago. And we went to camp there and one of the camp counselors was a young college girl. She said she came back. I got all your girls. They're going to always dress modest from now on. I'm like, you don't even know. You barely met these girls last night. You know nothing about them. And I talked to the girls later. They're like, I don't know what she was talking about. I just agreed with her so she'd leave me alone. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. If you have a problem dressing modestly like God wants you to, and it says it right here. You saw it right before your eyes. You need to get your heart right with the Lord because you should be desiring to please God with what you do. 
And another thing sometimes, and I'm going to move on because I'm probably already got some of you, you got questions you're building up to ask me later, or you're like, no one's going to tell, the Bible said it right there, not me. Be modest in what you wear. You want a good example of modesty? Look at Caroline, what she wears. She's very modest in what she wears. There are lots of other ladies in the room that wear what they wear as well. I've never, I've never looked at Edna and said, I can't believe what you're wearing. I've never done that with any of those ladies in that row. Side room over here, never once, never once with most of you that are here, I'm not even talking to you tonight. But there are a lot of godly ladies in the room that know how to dress godly, and I would follow their lead and their example. And you say, well, I just don't get it. You can come sit down. We'll talk about it later. Talk to Caroline. You can do whatever you want. And sometimes, and you say, well, I just don't understand that. You're not always going to understand everything, but the Bible just said it right before your eyes. So just trust God and his word. We also see that it says, let a, let a woman learn in silence with all subjection. talks about that a woman should not, it, I suffer not a woman to teach nor to observe authority over the man. That's why there are not supposed to be women preachers. Bible. You say, well, I know a very good woman, a woman's pastor. If she's a lady that teaches other ladies, that's fine. If you have a pastor that's a woman teaching and preaching in a church, the Bible says right there that's not supposed to happen. I've had people get mad at me. It's what the Bible says right there. It's not me. It's the Bible. And remember, I'm supposed to keep the doctrine right in the church? It's right before your eyes. You say, well, this, this is 2021. This isn't back in Bible days. The Bible doesn't change because we're in a different era. You say, well, why? You say, well, why, why doesn't God want a woman to be a preacher? Are you ready? It explains it. Look at verse 13. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Let me give you another little thought. And we, I know sometimes we don't like things like this. Maybe some of you, it's too much for you to take in tonight. Just breathe. Breathe. It's all okay. It's the reason why God put the man to be the head of the home as well. Because ladies can be deceived pretty easy. Adam wasn't deceived. Adam was just stupid. I think that's a great way of wording it. He was stupid. Adam was straight up stupid. Eve was deceived. And that's my other question. When Eve and Satan were talking, where was Adam that whole time? Why wasn't he there with his wife? He wasn't there. And we look at it, and this is what happens. I, I hear many, many a lady over the years, Pastor, I don't get that, and I just don't think that that's right. And, in my, and this is the thing. God puts things a certain way for protection. A husband being the head of the home if he, if he, I'm not telling him to be Lord over the home and make you bow down before him. That's ridiculous. But the husband should be the one who leads the home. And sometimes the problems in, in our churches and in our homes is the lady won't let her husband lead. Or the man won't lead and she has to step up and lead. And that's where the man needs to step up and be a man. And do what God's told you to do and follow God's given role for your life. So now I've lost about two-thirds of my audience here. We'll continue on. But 
Now, you say, well, is that the only verse? That's the only reason why we should have women pastors? No, there's more to it. Are you ready? We see number three, a pattern for leadership. Pattern for leadership. How should the leadership work in the church? Okay, we're going to look at these. The first thing that we see when it comes to that, we'd see pastor, which would be the bishop mentioned here. Now, let's make sure we understand something before we read these verses. There are no perfect pastors. There are not. You want a perfect leader? Wait till you're in Jesus' church in heaven, and you'll have the perfect leader. You will not have a perfect pastor. Your pastor will fail you. Your pastor can be stupid and dumb at times. Your pastor can be an idiot at times. He can. I'm far from perfect. Michael agrees. He's walking out on me right now. He just follows his, he follows his dad's example. Anyways, we'll leave that one alone. Peter always goes out at a certain time, too. Father like son. Josiah, don't know. Josiah is asleep. He follows. That's his grandpa does that, too. He sleeps, too. So they're all fall. Oh, he's down there. He's playing. So, but there are no perfect pastors. But listen to me. A pastor should be qualified. None are worthy for the position, but God's put out some qualifications. And make sure you hear me well. And, and I, really, in a, not long from now, we're going to set out some things and uh, we're going to be working on some things as a church. We haven't had a business meeting yet because I'm in the process. We're going to get some deacons. We're going to get some things in order. We're going to put together some qualifications. We're going to pu put these qualifications out. What if I die? It could happen any day. You never know. We need to make sure that we are lined up, that we will biblically follow God's word to get the next pastor in here. That's important. What are the qualifications for a pastor? Are you ready? Chapter 3. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, whoa, we, didn't we just mention that, does it say that women can be pastors right there? No, the office of a bishop? No, it says a man. See that there? He desireth a good work. Now, what should a pastor be? Are you ready? A bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. So how can a pastor be a woman? Well, I guess in our world today, there are women that are the husband of one wife, but that's not what that's talking about there. But we see it says a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous. One that ruleth his own house, having his children in subjection with gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We see the qualifications for a pastor laid out right before our eyes. When it says blameless, it's not talking about being perfect. But that means that you should be able to look into the pastor's past and not have any questionable things come up. It says, and I will, the husband of one wife, there are those who say that just means the husband of one wife at a time. That's not what it says. It says the husband of one wife. So if you, weren't, if you didn't believe me with the women not being a pastor, you might not like this one either. 
but a divorced man should not be a pastor. It says the husband of one wife. That's what the Bible says right there. So let's say that Caroline decided I was no good and she divorced me. I've disqualified myself from being the pastor anymore. And that's the truth. And see, she's walking out right now. <laughs> well, going to have to vote someone else in tonight. No. But husband vigilant. Keeping your eyes open. Sober. Apt to teach. Look at the next one. Not given to wine. You don't want a wino for your pastor. I don't think a pastor should drink. I think it says it right there. I've known pastors that do. I had a, someone that used to come to our church. They went to their new church. They went out to eat with their pastor, and the pastor and his wife were drinking a beer at the table with them. They're like, I had a hard time with that one. I said, I'd have a hard time with that one too. It says not given to wine. That means you shouldn't have it. Never tried it, so I don't know what it tastes like. Probably going to try to leave it that way. Go on through the rest of them. Not a striker. Sometimes I want to, but I don't. Not greedy, a filthy lucre. Pastor shouldn't be in it for the money. If you've got a pastor who's in it for the money, and that's their goal and desire, they shouldn't be a pastor. We'll leave that there. Um, given to hospitality, a, a pastor should be hospitable. That's important. Um, oh, that was back in verse number two. I skipped that, didn't I? Pastor should be patient. I'm working on that one, okay? I'm working on it. Um, it talks about ruling your own house. The pastor's children should be good. The pastor should be doing a good job of training his children. Now, I've had people say, well, what about when they grow up? And let's say they grow up and then they leave and they go into sin. Does that mean a pastor's disqualified himself? I think when they've gotten out of your house, there's, they're not under your rule. They're under their own rule. And I don't see that being what this is talking about. But if I got, and I'll tell you, am I a great parent? No, I'm not. Am I working? Oh, I work at it all the time, and I'm working at it more and more. But if I can't teach my children and have them learn to be good, how can I lead the church? It just doesn't work. And that's an important one. And we go on even further, but you see there's a pattern for leadership. There's the pastor and then we see deacons. Deacons would be the next one. Now look at what it says about deacons. Verse number 8. Likewise must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to mutt. Now, now, look at this. For the pastor it says not given to wine. But then for the deacon it says not given to much wine. What's up with that right there? Yeah, look, it's a little bit different there. But um, you got to understand. Drunkenness is wrong in any way you look at it. That's a sin, and you should not. And how do you stay away from drunkenness? You just don't drink. But anyways, we'll leave that one there. And then look what it says. Not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, and let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must their wives, so we see that it's supposed to be a man as well, be a deacon. I had a man years ago get so mad at me saying, we need deaconesses. It's not in the Bible. We call ourselves Bible believers. It's not there. And I think that there are some ladies that would be a much better deacon than some men. 
In fact, I think, I think Caroline would be a much better pastor than I am for you. But God didn't design it that way. This is God's order of things. And it talks about the deacon's wife. It says, even so must the wives be grave, not slanderous, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacon be the husbands of one wife. Ooh, a deacon should not be divorced. That's what it's saying. You say, Pastor, why haven't we had deacons? There are a couple that qualify that hadn't wanted it. And then it also says they need to be well-grounded before they're put into that position as well. It's not just a position you throw someone into. There's a pattern to it, and we see that before our eyes. And so it's an important thing. We see a pattern of leadership. Pastor, deacons, and then we see number four, and we've got two left. We're almost done, and we're out of time, but we're just going to hurry up and finish here. Number four, we see a pattern of relationships. A pattern of relationships within the church. So what do you mean? Look at look at verse number chapter five, verse number one. Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren. The elder women as mothers, the younger as sisters with all purity. Honor widows that are widows indeed. But if any widow have children or nephews, let them learn first to show piety at home and to requite their parents for that is good and acceptable before the Lord. And we just see as we go through here, we see just relationships. We see respect. Hey, in a church, there needs to be respect for one another. You might be a new Christian. And there could be someone who's been a Christian for 30, 40 years. The young Christian should respect the more mature Christian. But the more mature Christian should be able to remember, oh yeah, I remember what I was like when I was new to the faith. And they should respect the young Christian. There should be a mutual respect back and forth. Same thing between the mature ladies and the younger ladies. The thing that happens is, though, sometimes you'll have the older ladies look at, look at these, look at these, the young ladies have more, or the newer ladies, they might have more excitement to go that you used to have. And you'd be like, why are they doing, just respect one another. You that are just going in your Christian walk, find a Christian lady who's been at it for a long time and respect them and follow their example. We see those things over and over again. And um, we talk about the, it talks about respect. Letter B, we see about service. Honor widows that are widows indeed. And God's big on taking on the church, taking care of the widows and the fatherless. Those are very big and important to God. Well, the widows and the fatherless. So see letter C. We see as we talk about patterns of relationships, we see um, behavior. Verse 10 through verse number 14 there. We also see, and you can take some time later and read, but if you read the end of chapter number 5, it's, it's talking about, it says, let the elders that rule, the elders there, it's not talking about the old men in the church, 
it's talking about the pastors in the church. So you look at verse 17, it says, Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. And we see, you could read on through the rest of here, we see the importance of taking care of the spiritual leaders that God puts in your life financially. We see the fact that you, talks about when there's an accusation brought against a spiritual leader. And let me just say, accusations should be dealt with. This isn't telling you to turn a blind eye to the man of God and what he does. But this is telling you, be careful with those accusations, but you need to search them out. And, and when there's two, you need to, you got to deal with those. A lot of churches don't deal with sin that should be dealt with, and that's a totally another subject for another time. And then lastly, number five, we see a pattern of priorities. A pattern of priorities. When we look at chapter six. We look at verse number 11. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. What should be our priorities? Well, did you see the verse right before that? For the love of money is the root of all evil. A lot of Christians misquote that verse. And say money is the root of evil. No, 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 no. The love of money is the root of all evil. You got to have your priorities straight. Flee all those things earlier in chapter number six, but follow these other things. Some have said that this letter of 1 Timothy was probably Paul's most personal letter. He loves Timothy deeply. He loves the church at Ephesus. His heart was with them, and so he encourages them how to help the house of God, how they could behave themselves wisely in God's house. And Paul corrects, and he tells Timothy to confront bad theology, bad practices, bad examples, bad relationships, and bad attitudes. If you got a bad attitude after my message tonight, just take it to the Lord and read those verses again. If you got, and I went through things quick tonight. If there's ever where we go through a passage and you're like, I just don't understand that all the way, come talk to me. I'll explain it a little bit better for you. Father, we love you. We thank you for this evening. We thank you for your love, for your mercy, and for your grace. Thank you for our church. Thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for giving us an example to follow. We love you. Bless your people. Bless the rest of this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.